From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. A lot of different stories to get to this week. It's been a really busy week over here, but um, I want to begin by kind of breaking down some of the numbers we've seen and some of the, the patterns that we're seeing. Some troubling trends uh, this week in terms of uh, coronavirus case numbers, in, including some ominous warnings uh, from the White House. Yeah. Uh, earlier this week, it was actually a reporter with the Center for Public Integrity uh, broke a story basically publishing a document from the White House Coronavirus Task Force that was published, I believe it was released on Sunday, October 4th. Uh, and they had state-by-state breakdowns. And the report recommended moving several schools in Idaho in counties where there's elevated cases, moving to online school. And the reporter from the Center for Public Integrity who'd been tracking this thought that it was the first time that the White House had issued such guidance. Uh, I checked with uh, the governor's office to make sure that that was uh, you know, a real report that had come from the White House. And a spokesperson got back with me and said, yeah, uh, the governor makes the White House Coronavirus Task Force reports available to our local public health districts. And then it's one of several pieces of data and information uh, that folks are using when they make these decisions and evaluate these decisions about school openings and school closings. And they did kind of end with a note from the governor's office saying, you know, the governor very much still supports the localized approach that we have in here in Idaho, which is, of course, the hallmark of our of our state's plans, uh, that the school districts and specifically the school boards were empowered uh, to develop their own reopening plans in consultation with these sort of non-binding recommendations that we saw from the public health districts uh, starting in the summer. Right, Kevin? Yes. And, you know, I, I'm just kind of struck as I look at this report and I look at some of the the recommendations. I mean, they're talking about you know, school districts in several counties. They're also talking about uh, several college campuses. I mean, it's a, uh, it, you know, it's a pretty far-reaching report. Yeah, and I guess that's really important to point out. It did recommend uh, moving, like you said, college and university campuses online, uh, specifically counties that housed uh, University of Idaho, that housed Boise State University, and then Madison County, which has BYU-Idaho, which is a private school as opposed to a public college or university. But but I thought it was interesting that it went down to that level. Uh, and there was some data there. There's a couple of data points that, um, it, one in particular for Lataw County that did not align with what we had seen from the state numbers, but there was a lot of data there and a lot of information um, and despite what we had seen, even from the White House, as a very public push uh, to reopen, to have in-person uh, education this fall, uh, you know, it was recommended moving to, to online operations, both for the K-12 level and colleges and universities in those three counties, like you said. And, and it comes at a point when uh, what's happening at the local level in those counties is is really all over the place. Yeah. Uh, our, you know, our Devin Bodkin reported on Thursday that uh, the public health district in eastern Idaho uh, finally moved Madison County uh, from the uh, yellow risk category to a higher orange risk category. And, and as Devin explains in his story, and it's important to read, you know, the fine print of the story, uh, the health district also scaled back some of the 
restrictions that come with that uh, that elevated risk level. But you know, Madison County's numbers have been yeah, exploding in the past uh, couple of weeks, and it's not just because of BYU Idaho, but that's uh, been one of the hot spots uh, you know, statewide for quite some time. Latah County, uh, home of U of University of Idaho. Yeah remains in the green. That's the lowest risk level uh, of the four. Uh, remains in that green category. I've got it on my screen right now here Friday morning, in spite of really sharp uptick in cases in, in that community. So, you know, the local response has been really all over the place. So I, I have a hard time seeing how these uh, findings from the White House task force are going to uh, to change that right away. No, I, I, I don't believe they are. Um, it's just more information and information that hadn't been previously available to us. But the report did talk about outbreaks in Bannock County, Bingham County, Blaine County, Custer County, Elmore, Franklin, Jim, Gooding, Twin Falls, and Washington. And in those counties, and this is, this is where it gets into the K-12 issue about why the White House recommended moving to online education, but it said in those several counties that I just listed, quote, um, the outbreaks may be related to school openings, and that's based on what they consider a rapid uptick of cases among 12 to 17-year-olds in those areas. And so it did get down, um, you know, pretty deep into some demographic data there to, um, to draw on those conclusions. But I think you're absolutely right. The local reopening plan, local control is the hallmark of our of our plan. Uh, the governor and the state board of education announced that this summer, the legislature is very much in favor uh, of letting school boards and school districts decide their own decisions. So I don't think this White House report in and of itself changes anything right now. Yeah. And it's not just a local control issue, Clark, but as you well know, it's also a local political issue, you know, for sure. The White House report, it mentions Bannock County, and that jumps out at me because, uh, you know, you've got three trustees in the Pocatello Chubbuck School District who are facing a possible recall election. And one of the reasons that they're facing a possible recall is uh, that, you know, the trustees have uh, continued a hybrid learning model uh, in high school through the end of the fall, uh, the first trimester. Uh, that's one of the bones of contention at the heart of that recall election. So you've got a lot of local tension and a lot of local backlash over some of these school uh, reopening decisions or you know, a, a phased in process of reopening. That's been very controversial in, in Pocatello and earlier this week in West Ada, where you had the, the launch of a possible recall election against all five trustees because uh, recall organizers are impatient with the, uh, the reopening process in the West Ada district. So, you know, while it, it's certainly significant that the White House weighed in on this and the, the White House task force weighed in in the manner that they did, this is still going to be a very uh, local decision making process and, and a very bitterly contested local issue from what we're seeing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen that uh, around the state. I mean, that continues to be a flashpoint. Even things uh, like social distancing and, and face coverings continue to be a source of disagreement uh, across the state. We saw an incident at a high school football game between Caldwell and Emmett uh, that was interrupted and was eventually canceled uh, because um, members of the audience or a member of the audience uh, declined to wear a face covering. And, and, and so it continues to be... Um, 
yeah. a source yeah. of division all across the the state, and, and Idaho is not unique. Yeah. It's all across the country yeah. to some degree. Yeah. COVID-19 has not shut down high school football in Idaho, but Ammon Bundy did, at least in one one community. So, yeah, the, the, the beat goes on. The controversy continues, and it's something we're following very closely. And, and we're trying to... We're trying to watch it on the ground here as as best we can, really basing that in the numbers and really tracking the numbers, um, you know, on the college campuses and at the high school level. Uh, and you know, it's it's definitely a mixed bag right now on the college campuses, uh, you know, as you would expect. And and as you know, the the White House Task Force report kind of indicates, uh, things are. Things are not going well on several college campuses. The University of Idaho reported another uptick in cases this past week. The numbers are going up at BYU Idaho, uh, at Idaho State University, uh, you know, in, in Bannock County, which is another area of concern for the task force. I will note, uh, because I just looked at it this morning, Boise State uh, reported a lower number of new cases this week than we've seen in previous weeks and uh, a little bit of an easing off in terms of uh, number of students in, in isolation in quarantine beds. So a little bit more uh, bed space available should uh, the numbers go back up. So that's at least one glimmer uh, of, of hope on one campus, but uh, things are not looking great at uh, U of I or BYU-Idaho and at Idaho State University. And I think the hope, especially at U of I and, and ISU, is just to get to Thanksgiving and just to get through the yeah. fall semester before uh, turning the rest of the semester over to online instruction. And now it's, what are we, about seven weeks away from Thanksgiving. So it's a, it's a slog and it's something we'll be watching very closely. Yeah, for sure. And you'll have another update uh, this Friday, October 9th, as you always do, tracking the trends, trend lines with the number uh, of cases and how it's changed and what's going on. Uh, and then campuses. Monday morning, we'll provide you the latest of what's happening on the uh, on the campuses. Yep, for sure. 100% there. You've been watching another issue that we talked a lot about uh, last week in the podcast. Uh, this was uh, a big development uh, coming from the governor's office, this uh, plan to ramp up testing in the schools, especially testing of teachers and staff. We're watching it kind of roll out this week, and it's uh, it, it's been a little bit of a, an uneven rollout. Yeah, it, it has. And, and information is coming in as we speak. And just to be you know fair and clear, this was just something that the governor announced just last week. That The, the issue is, just a quick, quick refresher, uh, the Trump administration has made 100 million of these rapid antigen tests available to uh, governors across the states, and Idaho is expecting more than 500,000 of these rapid tests over the next three months, and Governor Little said that he's going to prioritize the use of those tests for schools, and they're specifically looking at testing teachers and school staff members, and they said it's a test that gets results in about 15 minutes. And I did talk, I reached out to each of Idaho's seven regional health districts this week, and I found out that the tests uh, have arrived at the regional health districts. It doesn't really look like testing is going, uh, has started yet. And, and like you said, uh, the rollout's a little bit different depending on where you live. Um, a couple of health districts, Panhandle Health up north, 
and Eastern Idaho Public Health have the tests and they're looking to begin um, or pardon me, Southeastern Idaho Public Health are looking to begin testing school in schools next week. Um, Panhandle Health received just over 5,000 tests and Southeastern Idaho Public Health received about 3,700 tests. Um, officials are going to be hiring more nurses and they're going to also offer drive-up testing for teachers, staff, and students who are symptomatic. And that's what's going to be happening in Southeastern Idaho Public Health. But in a couple areas, including Central District Health in Boise and a couple of other regions, uh, they haven't announced their plans uh, yet, and they're still developing what the protocols are going to be. And so it is developing as we, as we see it. It's happening quickly. Uh, but we're getting some more information as well. I asked the public information officer from Panhandle Health up north kind of about what these rapid antigen tests mean and and how they're different or similar than the other tests. And what they're recommending is that if a teacher or staff member has a negative test with these new rapid tests that the governor makes available, that they confirm that uh, with one of the other tests, which is called a PCR test. And so it gets a little bit complicated, um, but public health districts are going to be sharing that guidance with schools. We have a little bit of that information on our website from a story from earlier this week, and the public health districts uh, will be sharing that with school districts. And so, uh, if you, you know, uh, they'll have more detailed, more precise information. But, um, you know, when we heard from state epidemiologist Dr. Christine Hahn last week when the governor announced the program, she said it will take a little bit of time uh, to kind of ramp up. There's going to be some training involved. We're going to have to decide. Uh, some protocols about who gets tested and when and how often. And so it's going to be a little bit of a time uh, to ramp up, but it does look like a few health districts are looking to start testing or at least making tests available at the end of next week. And then, like we said, the governor expects over 500,000 tests um, coming into the state of Idaho over the next three months. Not exactly sure about the frequency and the dates of those shipments, but sometime over the next three months is the guidance we've been giving. So obviously it's going to be an ongoing story for us uh, as these tests start and as these uh, new batches of tests roll into the state. Yeah, it is going to be something that we're going to continue to track uh, about who uses them and how many are deployed and um, if there's you know enough to meet demand. Uh, we also want to you know find out, is this able to do what the governor suggested, which would be to help our schools stay open longer by making sure that the student, the staff, and the teachers uh, are there, and and so those are things that we'll be we'll be checking on as Idaho continues to battle uh, this coronavirus pandemic. But the governor did call it a game changer. Uh, we know just based on the numbers uh, that we have five hundred thousand plus tests, and we're talking about twenty thousand teachers plus staff members on top of that. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many are utilized, how many come in, when they come in, what the demand is like, what the response is like, uh, whether you know the educators and the school systems have confidence uh, in the tests and the results. And so we'll continue uh, to keep an eye on it. And we would love to hear uh, from our, our listeners. We know that a number of our listeners and readers are on the front lines uh, in, in school, serving in administration or serving as teachers or staff members. And so uh, if you'd like to share, obviously we're not looking for, for names or details about who's getting tested and what their results are. Uh, we don't want that information, but if you want to talk about 
how the program is going and if it's been helpful uh, for your district or for your charter school. That's the kind of information that we would love to hear uh, from the folks who are out in the front lines. And in the meantime, one of the things we'll be doing as we watch the, the testing program unfold, we'll be watching the case numbers as they unfold. Uh, the state, uh, the Department of Health and Welfare last Friday, a week ago, uh, released its first weekly report on uh, coronavirus cases in the school system, in the K-12 system. Um, it's not a complete uh, data set. It's not going to get us down to uh, some of the smaller schools, uh, schools with fewer than 50 students are not going to be reporting you know, due to uh, student privacy issues. Um, and some of the results that we are getting are a little bit sketchy in the sense that uh, with some schools, uh, health and welfare is, is reporting a minimum number of cases, uh, you know, at least two cases or at least one case. So the numbers are a little bit hazy and we're kind of having to put them out in that sense. Uh, what we did see last week was at least 51 new cases in the schools and that could be teachers, that could be students, that could be a combination of, of, of students and staff. But we'll be watching those numbers because, you know, again, going back to kind of where we started on this, uh, on this podcast, yeah, there are a lot of question marks right now about yeah. You know, what's happening with the coronavirus outbreak and what is the nexus between the increase in case numbers and the opening of schools and to how strong is that correlation? Right. Yeah. And that's something that uh, that we are going to continue uh, to watch. If, if you want to shift gears here for a, a minute, Kevin, I know you had a chance to take a look, a closer look at the financial picture at Boise State university and as you found it really came down to two factors and that was enrollment and athletics wasn't it yeah and that's kind of where i went with this uh with this story we've been writing so much about the financial challenges facing higher education so i wanted to take a closer look at, at boise state's situation and, and what i really found um not really surprisingly what i really found is that um you know, for years, Boise State has been on this growth trajectory. Enrollment yeah. growth, you know, 19% enrollment growth over a five-year period that ended last fall. Uh, the growth, uh, the athletic program, uh, you know, most notably the football program, and, and how that has, you know, helped support about a $45 million a year athletic department that you know kind of operates fairly as a freestander, um, kind of outside of the overall university budget. But these have been two of the kind of sure things at, at Boise State, the growth in enrollment, the growth in the athletic programs. And, you know, no surprise here in 2020, both of those sure things are in question. And those are really yeah. the two metrics that you know, if, if you want to get a handle on what's happening at Boise State University and, and the finances and why is the state's largest university talking about furloughs or program cuts. It really does come down to enrollment, especially because that affects the general fund that affects the day-to-day -day operations. But athletics is a, is a big driver in terms of the overall university cash flow. So, you know, what's happening with the athletic program, what's happening with the athletic budget is, is a, you know, a fairly significant consideration. And, you know, obviously both have been affected greatly by the uh, 
by the pandemic and the uncertainties uh, created by the pandemic. Yeah, and you talked about in the article, uh, which is available at the homepage, which is www.idahoednews.org, you talked about in the article about how we won't know um, official enrollment numbers here for a few weeks yet, um, but the administration is talking a little bit about maybe what they expect, right? And, and Right, and what they are expecting is uh, the enrollment may be flat, it may actually, might actually increase a little bit. And where that increase is coming from is really fascinating to me. Uh, Boise State is saying that they're seeing an increase in new students from out of state, uh, students maybe from, from California or Washington State or other areas where in-person college education is just not available. Uh, schools have gone online. So they're seeing students coming to Boise State because they want face-to-face learning. They want that face-to-face learning opportunity, and they're willing to go out of state to get it. What they're also seeing, that the flip side of that, is uh, that enrollment from students in Idaho, you know, first-time enrollment uh, for, for students in Idaho, that's dropped off. And that's, you know, that's a concerning trend for a lot of other reasons that, that maybe are not budgetary, but you know, are, you know, central to the mission of right. Boise State University and, and central to the, the drive to get more uh, high school graduates to continue their education. So any kind of drop-off you're seeing in in-state enrollment is a concern there. Yeah. Budget-wise, it's going to, budget-wise, um, talking to Mark Heil, who is the CFO at Boise State, I had an extensive interview with him this week. He thinks that all of this enrollment stuff is going to be pretty much a wash that they're not going to get a huge bump in revenue from the out-of-state students, not as big as maybe you would expect. And they are seeing and anticipating a drop-off in in revenues from room and board because uh, dorms are not being filled to capacity. You know, you're you're going to kind of, I hate this word, but it gets used a lot in higher education these days, a de-densified dorm. I mean, you're yeah. not using every room. Uh, you're having single single rooms where once you had doubles. Um, you know, just, you know, to have fewer students in the same space for obvious reasons in the middle of a pandemic. But that has a revenue impact. So in the end, he thinks that it's going to be pretty much flat. But the spring is a big question mark. And I think it's a big question mark at Boise State. And I think it's going to be a big question mark at uh, all of the, the colleges and universities. Do students come back in the spring? Do they feel comfortable after their experience in the fall continuing in spring semester? Or do they look at what's happened in the fall and they, they just decide, you know, it doesn't feel right right now. I'm going to take the, the spring semester off. I'm going to, uh, you know, pick a, a gap semester, if you will, or, or for whatever reason, decide, you know, I'm, I'm going to put it on hold for a while. So nobody really knows what to expect in the spring, much like uh, nobody really knew what to expect in the fall. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You've talked about how Thanksgiving is sort of uh, this deadline that, that folks are looking toward. But after Thanksgiving, you, you, you know, with the Christmas and the holiday season and New Year's, what happens next? What happens after that when classes would resume? And so that's an open question like you talked about. And you did address this in the article. And I know a lot of folks will be saying, well, you've talked about athletics, but football is going to be coming back. The first football game is scheduled in just over two weeks but it's not that simple. The return of football doesn't mean 
uh, that that hole in the budget is going to be filled all of a sudden, right? Right. Even though athletics, you know, is kind of a freestanding budget. Yeah. There's so much attention paid to it, and and President Marlene Trump has talked about the revenue hit that the university is expecting from you know the lack of a football season. I mean, back in September, when the football season seemed to be you know canceled, she was talking about a thir- uh, up to a thirty million dollar revenue hit from the lack of a football season. Yeah. So, you know, that was September. Since then, the season has been rescheduled. Uh, it'll start in two weeks. But it's a shortened season. And at this stage of the game, uh, under the current health district guidelines, you could not have fans in Albertson Stadium for, for home games. And, and I believe... Uh, Boise State's first game is scheduled to be a home game, so we're two weeks out. Um, so how do all these numbers add up? And that was one of the things I wanted to ask uh, Mark Heil about. Yeah. Uh, walk me through. You know, we're talking about this 25 to $30 million loss. Now we have a season. How does all of this add up? And it, Well, it doesn't add up very well when you, really, you know, when, you, when you really analyze it. Yes, Boise State will get TV revenue all season, but the TV revenue is really it's going to cover the the cost of travel for the away games on the schedule. It's not yeah. going to uh, put my dent in that revenue thing. And the revenue, the big revenue driver for Boise State are those home games. You know, it's people in the stands, people buying tickets, people um, you know going to the concession stands. It's you know the you know it's the folks in the skyboxes. It's it's everything that is generated from the, the traffic of a home game and that's where the revenue really comes and that's the revenue that's really in jeopardy right now because uh the central district health guidelines are you know are, are pretty strict right now you can't have large gatherings you can have more than 50 people boise state says they will honor those uh those guidelines and if they honor those guidelines that means uh you know stands will be empty in two weeks and you know the coffers for the athletic department are going to be uh, going to be pretty light uh, as a result. Yeah, I know that you'll continue uh, to stay on top of it and monitor it. You've really moved into a role. Uh, higher ed was always kind of your specialty, uh, but now it's 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 really more of your focus, uh, and and so that's exciting yeah. to see uh, going forward uh, that you really will be looking at higher education in colleges and universities on a full time basis and providing that ongoing coverage. And, and right, and then this will be part of an ongoing series that I'll be doing this year, a you know a periodic series uh, looking at the challenges facing higher education and the budget challenge. Obviously, is you know, is front and center. Yep, for sure. Um, just one more thing that I wanted to get to this week. We've, you know, it, it, it seems like it's almost sneaking up on us, even though we've known it's been coming all along. Uh, but the election is just three and a half weeks away. And in Idaho, we have a couple yes, of... there's an election. <laughs> yeah. Attention, Idaho reporters. There's uh, an election. But uh, we have you a couple of, of key deadlines here in Idaho that we're looking at. And one of them is today, October 9th. Uh, and the deadline today is for advanced voter registration. You can think of it as online voter registration. Uh, that deadline is today. And so if you're listening to this on October 9th and you have not registered, or if you want to double check if you are, you can just head to idahovotes.gov, idahovotes.gov. That's the state's official 
voter information website. You can register not, there. I was going to say, that's not the cutoff on registration, though. I think that's important to note. People can still register. This is just the cutoff on online registration, correct? Yeah, so there's a couple uh, of things going on. But if you So if you want to register, go to IdahoVotes.gov today. You can do that online and be done with it. Um, once this deadline passes today, you can register in person. If you vote in person on Election Day, November 3rd, you can also register in person uh, if you do early voting uh, at your county uh, courthouse or at your county elections office. Uh, but those are the basic options. And if you have not, you have to be registered to vote to request an absentee ballot. And so if you're looking to vote absentee but you're not registered and you haven't requested it yet, you really need to get moving today to be able to do that. Uh, otherwise, if you are registered, the deadline to request an absentee ballot is October 23rd. You have two more weeks uh, to request it, and then you need to turn around and make sure uh, that that completed ballot is in the hands uh, of your county elections officials by 8 p.m., on November 3rd. Again, that's election day. So a couple of big deadlines coming up. The advanced registration deadlines today, if you miss it, uh, as you said, Kevin, you can still register, you can still vote. Uh, we do have same-day registration in Idaho when you go to the polls and vote in person. Uh, so keep that, keep that in mind. I also have an article that talks a little bit about all the options that are open to voting, uh, options for voting this year. And there is one really interesting situation that comes up, and it's what happens if I requested an absentee ballot, but I changed my mind and want to vote in person. It's a little bit complicated, uh, but we have that information uh, at www.idahoednews.org. Um, but the short answer is do not burn or destroy your ballot on your own. Uh, the county elections officials will need to inventory that and keep track of it. But it is an issue. You can use if you're uh, if you're one of those those voters who's decided to, to do this thing in person. It it is an issue, uh, I'm told, and that people are going through it. So uh, just keep that in mind. We've got that information there. But the more practical information uh, is some of the deadlines and information about the voting procedures available to you. If you do want to vote in person, you will be able to do so on November third. But your polling location, the place where you go to vote may have changed. It may have even changed since this spring. Uh, and so you want to double check all that in advance. And really, you know, you have a lot of different options as a voter. And yeah. then that's, uh, you know, you have time still to figure out which option you feel most comfortable with. I know for myself, I requested an absentee ballot a couple of weeks ago. I got it in the mail, uh, probably about the time we did last week's podcast, uh, filled it out, dropped it off at the county, uh, county elections office on sunday so i'm done i'm i'm you know uh, I'm, I'm good to go but you know i will miss that you know face-to-face -face voting aspect i'll miss kind of the communal aspect of voting on election day because that's what i've always done but you know this is a different year but it's uh you know it's also you know you have a lot of different ways to to make your voice heard though so you know it's a matter of just figuring out what you feel most comfortable with in in 2020 yeah, for sure. Uh, IdahoVotes.gov, that has all the information. And I, re I request an absentee ballot as well. It just arrived, and I'm going to fill it out uh, and drop it off this weekend. 
But uh, yeah, I think that's all the stories that I wanted to get to this week. There was a lot. Uh, there's more information on the homepage, more information. Uh, Sammy Edge had an interview uh, with the Teacher of the Year that yeah. was pretty interesting. I definitely recommend uh, checking that out this afternoon as well. Right. That, that's definitely worth a read. Uh, our Devin Bodkin continues his weekly uh, back-to-school blog as his uh, as his family navigates this process. That's always uh, a good read. And that, that publishes on Sunday nights, so you want to check in this weekend and, and and get a look at that. And we'll have the continuing ongoing coverage of, of everything that's going on in these crazy times uh, at the K-12 and higher ed level. Yeah, Devin's hilarious. If you if you haven't checked out his blog about his family going back to school and sort of navigating it, uh, they're, they're well-written stories. I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be at first, but they're interesting. And Devin's just hilarious. I think last night on Facebook, he posted that one of his daughter's apologized for calling him ugly, and then said he was the prettiest dad in all of Idaho. So Devin, Devin and his girls are hilarious, uh, and you should check out um, his features that he does every week. But anyways, and, thank- and, and Devin might or might not be called the prettiest dad in Idaho in the future staff meeting. Right. That, that may be one that he uh, has to live down for a while. <laughs> right. I, she, Fair warning, Devin. Yeah, we're, we're coming after you. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we always really enjoy breaking down this ever-complicated intersection of education policy and education politics. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.